Welcome to Blitzcats, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Hello, everyone. This is Blitzcast number 82, and we're going to start the show talking about the Thursday night game between the Steelers and the Browns. Unfortunately, I want to talk about the game, but we're going to talk about the incident that occurred at the end of the game with eight seconds left and I'm sure you were watching this game the whole world was watching and everybody is talking about what occurred at the end of the game I don't think anybody saw that coming Ed. yeah well you know it was a chippy game to start I mean there there were some pretty big hits the Steelers were getting creamed in that game you know just from an injury standpoint I mean I think there was about three concussions um, you know, I think some things escalated, and I think a lot of it, uh, I think the first move was, you know, the Demarius Randall hit on Deontay Johnson. I mean, he really knocked him out cold, and I mean, if you look at his body language, it was like his head was kind of hanging, he was bleeding from the ear. It was it was really kind of eerie, um, especially if you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then, you know, sort of as the game went on, I mean, th- there was really that incident with Miles Garrett where... You know, it it really takes two to tango, and uh, you know Mason Rudolph started off with basically, you know, he gets tackled kind of aggressively, kind of miffs him. Then he, you know, then he sort of tries to pull the helmet off of Miles Garrett, and I think at that point Miles Garrett was like, "Don't you ever, <laughs> don't you ever try to rip my helmet off, and I'm gonna rip your helmet off, and I'm gonna hit you with it," and that's exactly what he did, and. Um, you know, there was no choice for the Steelers offensive line, but to, to basically back up their, their quarterback. And so, you know, it got violent and it it was, it was embarrassing. I mean, that was one of the most emotional games I've had in a while. I mean, especially, you know, I had some skin in the game being a fan and, uh, of the team and, you know, it was just, I mean, it it was just, it, 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 it got really out of hand. Yeah, it really did. Uh, Bovada Sportsbook, uh, if you want to bet on NFL games uh, in the future, go to Bovada Sportsbook. It takes sports bettors closer to the action. It's fun, it's safe, and it's fast. It's it's sports betting made easy. Uh, let's get back to, to that incident, Ed. Um, obviously, Miles Garrett ripped off the helmet from Mason Rudolph, and he went after him. I, I've never seen something like that before. So, a guy used a helmet to assault another player on the football field. There have been fights before and guys hitting each other in the groins and knocking each other down. And there's some vicious hits. Obviously, football is is, is an emotional game. The adrenaline is running. There's a lot of... You go through a lot of ups and downs during the game. You want to kill the opposing player in front of you. You see a lot of people trash-talking, the cornerbacks and wide receivers getting chippy with each other and going back and forth. Offensive and defensive linemen, I'm sure, want to kill each other by the time we get to the fourth quarter. But I've never seen something like that before in in a while. And Miles Garrett certainly lost his cool. He, He lost his mind. To, to be honest with you, you can't do that. You can't use a helmet as a weapon and, and attack another player. Because if he connected the way he probably wanted to, I mean, he could have caused some serious damage to Mason Rudolph. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it was it was it was just kind of scary when you saw the incident, and 
Um, you know, one thing I want to point out in, in that moment was that, you know, after that happened, the Steelers needed on fourth down. And, um, you know, one, one idea reason why that was is that the team was just totally frustrated with their offense. And the other is, is that, you know, the Steelers were just saying protest this game. It's like, you know what, let's just need and, you know, walk out here with a loss and just get this over with because this is this is out of hand. Yeah, Miles Garrett has been suspended for the rest of the season. If the Browns somehow get into the playoffs, which I don't think they will, Miles Garrett will also miss the playoffs. And a lot of people are speculating that he'll probably miss some games next season as well because the, he's going to have to go and talk to the commissioner. Uh, it, this is going to be a, a lengthy type of conversation. And I, I'm sure he's going to appeal it, but... He's going to lose it either way. Two more players got suspended, by the way. Larry Ogunjobi, the other defensive lineman of the Cleveland Browns, he hit Mason Rudolph from behind when he didn't have the helmet on. He's been suspended for one game. And the same thing goes for Marquise Pouncey. And I can understand Pouncey. The offensive lineman was sticking up for his signal caller, for his quarterback. Um, obviously, he got into a fight with Miles Garrett. He was kicking. He was punching him. Uh, he was trying to... Bring him down to earth, as I would say. I mean, Miles Garrett just lost it. And obviously, Marquise Pouncey has been suspended for three games. You can't blame that. The only thing that I was surprised about, that Rudolph wasn't suspended. Am, am I missing something here, Ed? Obviously, he said something. He also um, was, was involved in this altercation. I mean, he wasn't the innocent bystander that we hope that he was. He wasn't. Obviously, Miles Garrett was mad at him for something. I just I wish that that Rudolph would also be disciplined in this situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, the NFL does have a little bit of a bias towards the quarterbacks. I mean, they want to protect the quarterbacks, and I mean, if they want to send a message, it's that you know, the, you know, the quarterbacks are, are are basically a trademark of the league, and you know, we have to we have to. I mean, they 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 get they get a privileged position in. In, in just, you know, how penalties and how the game is refereed. And, um, you know, I know that upsets a lot of football fans. And, you know, it may not even be fair, but that's that's the nature. I mean, this is a business. This is, this is what you have to do to protect your assets. Remember, Miles Garrett was the number one overall pick of the Cleveland Browns in 2017. He's been the cornerstone of that defense. He's a guy that's been getting after the quarterback the past two years. He's been having a really good year this year. He's not a dirty player. I mean, he's had a couple of roughing the passer calls, but this isn't... He, he's not that type of player. He's not Vontez, Vontez perfect, all right? I mean, the, the, he's not a dirty player in that regard. So I'm sticking up for Miles Garrett a little bit. I, I realize that he is... What he did was wrong, and I hope he, he obviously realizes that now. Uh, he, he lost it, he got emotional, and he did something that was very uncharacteristic. But the, the Browns were building their defense around the number one overall pick. And I just look at the Browns right now, and they're just in complete disarray. You and I talked about the Browns before, last week and two weeks before. And we talked about how Freddie Kitchen's team is really undisciplined. Turnovers penalties now this incident with uh, miles garrett then two weeks ago we had jermaine whitehead go on twitter and and say some not so nice things um, on there after the denver broncos game he was obviously released by the cleveland browns 
Then the Antonio Callaway situation, John Dorsey drafted him knowing that he had some substance abuse issues. He drafted him in the fourth round, took a chance on him, stuck up for him throughout this process. He was late, uh, I think, to practice before the Bills game. He didn't play that game. Then we find out that Antonio Callaway once again has has failed uh, uh, in, in terms of his substance abuse policy, and he's been banned for 10 games. The Cleveland Browns have released the, the troubled young wide receiver. So this is an ongoing problem with this organization. This isn't just one incident. Can Freddie Kitchens survive this season without making the postseason? You know, I it just, you know, I, I'm usually not into the whole one-and-done coach thing, but... I mean, this is a different Browns team. This is a more aggressive Browns team. I mean, now I feel like they're almost like the Bengals of the division for the Steelers. I mean, you know, it used to be with Marvin Lewis and, you know, the sort of the Vontaze perfect days, and you'd, you'd sort of hold your breath before a game. And now now I feel like that's what that's what the Browns are. I mean, they played the – Browns, the Browns were an aggressive team in that game. And um, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying anyone is the victim and anyone is – you know, you know, is in you know both side both sides. It, it took two to tango in this game, but I mean, you know, the 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 Browns the Browns are having a lot of trouble. I mean, this has been a huge disappointment this year. I mean, this team is very talented. They have, I mean, Miles Garrett is a great pass rusher. They have a lot of talent. They have OBJ. You know, they have Jarvis Landry. They have the receivers, and really, just you know, a lot of great players are having mediocre years, and they're just. They're they're not putting it all together. I mean, so I I I really am not a one and done coach, you know, sort of sort of way of seeing things. But I I mean, it it might be right to 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 just go for another guy at the end of the year. Yeah, I think it's time to go. Like I said, Freddie Kitchens was handpicked by John Dorsey, Baker Mayfield that obviously reendorsed him. Uh, there was a lot of thinking in this that Freddie Kitchens could be the new up-and-coming type of coach, but it just hasn't happened here. It, I, I'm seeing a team that's just in disarray, and and they got to throw in the towel. Like when you combine all these incidents and all these things, and I, I realize that they've got a two-game winning streak right now, and they beat the Steelers on Thursday night, but still, uh, you you got to make a switch at the end of the season. Let's. Ed, let's look at the current playoff picture. Uh, let's start with the NFC. Uh, right now, we've got the Niners. Um, they they lost their first game against the Seahawks on um, during that crazy Monday night game. Um, the Niners are still in first place in the NFC West. We've got the Packers leading the division in the NFC North. Then we have the Saints in first place in the NFC South. And then we've got the Cowboys barely hanging on at 5-4 and four in the NFC East. Out of those four division leaders right now, Ed, who is the most vulnerable team to you? Yeah, I don't think the Cowboys have that division one at all. I mean, I think the Eagles could creep back into this. And, uh, you know, they were my pick at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, the Cowboys have played some really bad games. I mean, they played a terrible game against the Jets. Um, you know, they, they have they have a very good offense, but, and they have a very good offensive line. But um, I just, I, 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 don't see, I don't see them being... Um, you know, really the best team. I, I think they have some defensive problems, and um, you know, I just I, I'm not I I don't think 
I, I think they're the most vulnerable of, of those four. I mean, if you look at the other the other four, I mean, the 49ers have had a great year. I mean, they've probably played a little above their head. But um, the Saints, I mean, great team. Maybe things are lo- looking a little bleak because they had a bad game against the Falcons. But, I mean, I, 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 I kind of take that game with a grain of salt, to be honest with you. The, those types of... Those types of games are, you know, th- those are the black swans of the NFL. You know, those things kind of happen. Um, you know, and then and then the Packers. I mean, the Packers have been great. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been great. And, um, you know, I, I picked them at the beginning of the year. And I think they, you know, because they have Aaron Rodgers and because they have, you know, an underrated defense, I think I think they could make a run. I would agree with you. The, the Cowboys are, are in trouble. Um, they... They have a good quarterback in Dak Prescott. They've got one of the best running backs in the game in Ezekiel Elliott. Still have a good offensive line. They have Amari Cooper. They can make plays on the outside. But I just I have questions about their their coaching staff just in general. I've always had questions about Jason Garrett. I don't think he's anything special. Jerry Jones have has hung on to him. Um, obviously, he sees something that other people don't. Um, and then against the Vikings, Ed, I, I didn't get it. They got into the red zone. They had to score a touchdown. And Kellen Moore did some questionable play calling in that game. Uh, I just, I don't know what was going on. It looked like the Cowboys were going to score. It looked it looked like they were going to make it, go ahead in that game. All of a sudden, they just stalled in the red zone. And, and play calling was to blame. So I blame the offensive coordinator in that situation. And all in all, it's Jason Garrett is not head coaching material. Uh, let's say that. So if, if Cowboys or Eagles, I'm going to take the Eagles. I'm going to take the Eagles because Doug Peterson has won the Super Bowl. They face the, the third easiest schedule in football over the remainder of the season. Uh, they've got after matchups against the Patriots and the Seahawks, the Eagles finish two games against the, the Giants and then road trips to face Miami and Washington, and then a rematch against the Cowboys. So um, I would definitely take the Eagles. Even though their secondary has been one of the worst secondaries in football, this team can still score, and I think they're going to get it done. So but, you know, they've got about six games right now, six or seven games. Um, down the home stretch, and I'm, I'm taking the Eagles over the Cowboys to, to take this division. The wild card teams, Ed, we've got the Seahawks and the Vikings. I was, well, obviously, the Vikings beat the Cowboys, but I was really impressed with how gutsy the Seahawks played against my Niners, Ed. And the Niners were undefeated up to that point, and the Niners were winning 10 to nothing for most of the first half. And just Russell Wilson led them back. And uh, and then in overtime, obviously, they, they exchanged. Both kickers missed. And and then, obviously, uh, the, the Seahawks came out with the win. That was that was one of the, the best Monday night games that I've seen in a while, Ed. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of on that, you know, Seahawks bandwagon as well. I mean, they've, they have a great year. Russell Wilson is having a great year. They have a good defense. Um, you know, there's just there's just not a lot to not like about that team. I mean, they seem to, you know, they never seem to really draft guys who, you know, have have uh, you know that good of college production, but they just get these great athletes, and you know, they just seem to be able to turn them into great players. And um, 
the 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 concern I do have about the Seahawks is Tyler Lockett. I mean, he's having some injury issues. Um, you know, he's their number one receiver, and obviously, I could see them definitely being a wild card team. But you know, and down the stretch, I mean, you really need that number one go to receiver. I like the the fact that they picked up a couple of players that are helping them right now. Obviously, they traded for Clowney, Ed, and he was the one that picked up the fumble and scored the touchdown that I would say turned the game around for the Seahawks. And the game probably would have been 10 to nothing, maybe even more. All of a sudden at halftime, it's 10 to 7. Then Quandre Diggs with an interception for the Seahawks in the third quarter. I want to remind everyone that Quandre Diggs was on the Lions a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Matt Patricia decided to release him. Quandre Diggs made some plays, and Seattle took the lead, 14 to 10. After that, so it's uh, it really is amazing. And then I, I have to mention this, Ed, because Gordon made a couple of big plays there on third downs in the fourth quarter when when they didn't have their number one weapon. They were looking for DK Metcalf, but it was Josh Gordon that that was targeted a couple of times and made a couple of big time plays. So those. They made the move with Clowney, obviously, before the season, but the moves with Quandre Diggs and Gordon in terms of improving that team during the during the season, that has kind of worked out. I mean, Seahawks aren't afraid to to go after guys that they believe can help their team win. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Pete Carroll is also a great coach. I mean, I know he, he didn't do very well in New England, and obviously, um, you know, people kind of forgot that he was the Patriots coach in uh, New England but I thought he did a good job at USC despite some of the scandals and um, you know he is he is a very good NFL coach and he's he's a little different than most football coaches you know he's he's maybe a little more uh, new age I guess he's a little bit more um, you know I I think he's a smart guy I think he I think he's ahead of the curve I think he's a player's coach so um, you know I, I, I definitely think they got a good situation up there in Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that kind of worries me, though, I, I love the Seahawks, but the only thing that worries me is they still have one of the toughest schedules in football over the remainder of the season. After the bye week, five of Seattle's final six games come against teams with a winning record. On the schedule, they've got road trips to face the Eagles, the Rams, the Panthers, along with home games against the Vikings, Cardinals, and 49ers. In, in a season-ending rematch. So that's my only worry. Um, the, the Seahawks do have a great team. And obviously, they're led by Russell Wilson, who is one of the favorites for the MVP award right now. But it's just, that that's that's my concern moving forward. They certainly don't have an easy schedule like like the Browns. They, they play some really good teams. And that's, that, that, that's probably my biggest worry. And I wanted to mention this really quickly about the Monday night game. Jimmy G just didn't have a good night. You know, against the Cardinals, he threw four touchdowns. Against the Seahawks, he throws a pick. Uh, He got away with a couple of more that could have been interceptions. He had five sacks, two fumbles. I hate to do this, but the running game was shut down by the Seahawks. And Jimmy G just didn't deliver. I'm sure he'll bounce back, but... I saw happy feet in the pocket. I saw him worrying about the pass rush, and there's a little bit of a concern there. I know the 49ers are going to be in the playoffs, Ed, but when it's one game that you have to win, even at home or on the road, I just don't have the confidence right now in Jimmy Garoppolo. 
You know, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is, has been the guy who's carried this team. I mean, I I think a couple of years ago, you know, before the injury, I thought he was one of sort of the top ten quarterbacks in the league. But you know, now I see him. I see him as a very much of a sort of a, you know an average to above average starting quarterback. I mean, he's you know he 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 is you know he he is doing well enough to win in San Francisco. But I mean, this isn't. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't give him all the credit for what this team is doing. I really like what they've done on the defensive side of the ball, and especially on the defensive line. No, absolutely. It's it's been the the defense, it's been the offensive line, and it's been uh, it's been the running game. Ed. And when the running game was shut down against the Seahawks, that's when that that's when we got in trouble. Uh, to be honest with you, um, any. Um, Obviously, we mentioned that we are we both like the Seahawks, and uh, uh, it's great. Um, how about the Vikings, Ed? Were you impressed the way they they beat up on the Cowboys there? Yeah, I mean the the Vikings do have a you know a very good team. I mean they got they got talented at different positions. I I think they they were smart to get Bradbury on the offensive line. I still I still think they're kind of an offensive line away from being a division winner type team. Um, but you know they they've got a, a good one-two punch in receivers and Thielen and Diggs and I I am a fan of Kirk Cousins I was re- I was really impressed when they signed him um, I know I know that there's some Viking fans that are that aren't as high on him but um, I, I I like that pick and obviously you know they've they've been they've been a defensive they've been a defensive team I mean maybe their defense isn't as good as it's been a couple of years ago but I mean they're they're still a decent defensive team so. Um, they're they're definitely they're definitely a team in the playoff hunt, but um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pencil them in. I'm not gonna pencil them in yet. All right, all right, sounds good. And out of those teams, we, we talked about the Eagles. You know, I'm a big fan of the Eagles. I think they're gonna overtake the Cowboys. You think the Cowboys will still make the playoffs as a wild card team over a team like the Los Angeles Rams that has completely fallen apart right now with. Jared Goff not playing well. Obviously, we know that Todd Gurley issues with his health. I, you think the Rams are are going to fall victim to being another Super Bowl loser that that doesn't make the playoffs the next season? I I well I think I I think the the NFC East. I think there's only one team that's going to make the playoffs from that division, and it's the division winner. And I don't see any wild cards coming from the NFC East. And to be honest with you, I I don't see I don't see uh, I don't see any of those four teams really spending a lot of time in the playoffs either. I think I think it may, they might host a game, but I think it'll be a one and done kind of deal. All right, let let's talk about the AFC. Ed. Obviously, we've got the Patriots in the AFC East. We've got the Ravens, a hot team right now in the AFC North, and we've got the Texans in the AFC South leading that division, and we've got the Chiefs scoring 31 points against the Titans but still giving up 35 and losing uh, in Patrick Mahomes you know obviously dominating in, in his performance back but they're still leading that the AFC West division and then the wild cards we've got the Bills and the Raiders right now uh, obviously before the Steelers lost to the Browns they were the the sixth playoff team but the Raiders are currently holding that that title um, who who is the best team in the AFC? Is it still the Patriots, or are you becoming a believer in the Ravens? No, I, I'm not. I'm not ready to to say the Ravens are are uh, you know the the favorite in the AFC. I think 
I think they're they're doing well in the AFC North, and I mean, I I think they're very much you know sort of the 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 top of that division. Um, but they're uh, still at the top of that division for you. I mean, you're a big fan of Lamar Jackson right now, Ed. I mean, I I am a big fan of Lamar Jackson, but you can't argue with what the Patriots have done. I mean, yeah, the Patriots lost to them on that Sunday night game, but this is this is uh. I mean, this is definitely, this is definitely the, you know, the, this is definitely the, um, you know, the, the Patriots division to win. I mean, they, their defense has been absolutely dominant other than the Lamar Jackson game. And, um, you know, they have Brady and they have Belichick and to be honest with you, I mean, I just, I, I can't go against them until I really see this dynasty fall and this dynasty hasn't fallen yet. I think obviously, you know, the the division leaders, um, you know, obviously the the one surprises for me in the AFC are the wild cards, Ed. We've got the Bills and the Raiders. I certainly didn't expect that with the Bills being led by Josh Allen, but it's actually that defense that's been absolutely fantastic and and lights out for for the Bills kind of leading the charge. I certainly didn't expect Buffalo to be in the wild card race. And the Raiders, I think the Raiders have surprised everyone. Uh, to be honest with you. I mean, here it is, John Gruden uh, leading the charge in, in his second season. Here are the Raiders sitting at, at five and four, and um, they, they've got the lead right now over the Steelers and the Colts. You think they're going to be able to hang on? You think all those teams that are in the playoffs right now, who is the most vulnerable team? Well, you know, I th- I think that that's a, that's a tough race for the sixth seed. Um you know, I, I really could see Indianapolis being that team that wins the sixth seed. I Brissett's been hurt and so they've kind of fallen a little bit a little bit below the picture, but I, I, I'm I'm thinking that the, the Colts might be that team that's good that's gonna be the sixth seed. I also believe that actually, Ed. Uh, Jacoby Brissett should be back this Sunday, uh, when they play and obviously he's I I'm sure he's not gonna be a hundred percent, but I just I'm not on board with this Raiders team. I, I really am. I'm not. You know, obviously the Bills can be there because defense wins championships and maybe they can overcome, you know, Josh Allen being their quarterback. But I just, I'm not on board with the Raiders right now. They, they don't scare me. So I would much rather go with the Steelers and the Colts. Actually, I would probably take the Steelers and the Colts in this situation over the Bills and the Raiders because the Steelers have played great defense and and the Colts play good defense. They can run the football, and they've got a good offensive line. So right now, I'm, I think I'm taking those division leaders in the Patriots, the Ravens, the Texans, and the Chiefs. But the two wild card teams, I, I would swap them. To be honest with you, I, w- I would swap the Bills for the Steelers, and I would swap the the Colts for the Raiders. Uh, so that's <clears throat> that's kind of going to be interesting right there. Um, I mean- and obviously, we've got a big game, uh, Bavada has got the Patriots versus the Eagles this weekend, and the Patriots are favored by four and a half right now. Um, so that that's something that we're going to be looking at. But you and I both feel that the Eagles are got to go on, on a winning streak out here. What about the AFC, Ed? You mentioned the Colts. You would take the Colts over the Raiders. You think the Steelers have a shot to, to get back in, into the wild card here? You know, I think the Steelers are really beat up right now. I mean, they've they've got a lot of injuries, and I mean, they're they're really down on receivers right now. I mean, James Washington might be their number one receiver going into the next game. So uh, I'm not I'm not 
I'm not I'm not really too excited. They the Steelers have so many injuries and really their offense can't do anything. Um, they showed that against the Browns. I mean, I, it looked like it looked like they were giving up. I give Mike Tomlin credit for keeping this team in it. Um, you know, I, I I'm hoping for a nine and seven or an eight and eight type of season. But um, you know, this defense this defense is really playing great football. And you know, if they can get Roethlisberger back and get get things going again, um, then yeah, I mean, you know, I think in a year or two this team this team could be back. But at this point, you know, with Mason Rudolph, I just don't think he, I don't I don't think they're a playoff team with Mason Rudolph. Yeah, but they've got a shot. I mean, their defense is playing at, at an all-time high right now. So I would say, you know, the, the way they've been playing defense be, before that Browns game, it was impressive. They were forcing turnovers. They were getting after the quarterback. Uh, I was impressed. It's like the Steelers of old. And you and I have complained about it, that we haven't seen that defense rise up uh, the past couple of years, that it's been their Achilles heel. And, and right now it's just... The Steelers' defense is trying to do its job, knowing that they don't have their star quarterback. James Conner is banged up, and and that's probably the other one. Um, obviously, we've got a big game against the, the Texans versus the Ravens. Um, it's Deshaun Watson against Lamar Jackson. Uh, everybody is going to be watching this game. And, um, you know, two guys, two young quarterbacks that are just, you know, doing their job. And uh, Lamar Jackson has has been the front runner for the MVP right now. It looks like he is. And Deshaun Watson is also keeping the Texans right in it. I mean, he's he's making plays and, and doing his part. So uh, th- this is the game to obviously keep an eye on. And the Ravens, the Ravens are the favorites in this game. According to Bovada, uh, they're four and a half point favorites in this game against the against the Texans. Um, let's move on to our scouting reports, Ed. We, we do this every week. Uh, we put a couple of guys under the microscope, and we decided to look at offensive linemen. Actually, let's be honest. A left tackle from USC, Austin Jackson. Right now, he's, he's a hot name in the scouting community. He is in his second season as the starter at left tackle, and we've, we've had some you know, we've had Tyron Smith, who came out of USC uh, a while back and has been a stalwart at left tackle for the Cowboys. So let's put Austin Jackson through through the through the scouting microscope, Ed. Well, I, I think there are some things to like about Austin Jackson. Um, I think he's overall a good pass blocker. I think he has good feet. I think he's a very good run blocker. I think he's a good technician. I think he has some intelligence. Um but yeah, I, I do have a few concerns. I mean, I think he's I think he's up there, you know, as far as you know, uh, you know, in the tackles. Um, I think he's you know sort of in the first round conversation. Well, I mean, he's got. Let's look at the things that he's got working for him. He's got long arms. He's got the size, and he can get bigger. He's about three ten right now. He can definitely add another 10, 15 pounds out there easily. He's still a young guy with a lot of upside. He's got quick feet. He's athletic. He's a former tight end in high school, by the way. Uh, he showed up at, um, at USC, I think, during his freshman season at 255 or 260 uh, during the, the offseason. So he put on a lot of weight and became the left tackle. He plays with proper pad level. Um, he's just he's a guy that I think there are a couple of issues with him. I think he shows good lateral movement. He's got quick light feet. 
but he needs to be more aggressive as a run blocker, Ed, I believe. Hand placement is also an issue in pass protection for me. Uh, he's a guy that, that fails to sustain the blocker in the run game. So that that's something that he's got to work on. You know, there's one thing that I, I really was kind of concerned about, and that was, uh, you know, I think he needs to be quicker to the edge. Um I think I, I I just I think he I think he has a decent kick slot. I think he has decent feet, but I see him I see him getting beat on the bend. And to be honest with you, I I, I worry about him being a left tackle because of that. He needs to be more in sync with his with his arms and his feet. At times he gets lazy and tries to lunge forward, and he's just got to move those feet. I think he's got quick feet, and and he's a good athlete. He just gets lazy at times. Uh, whether maybe he wears down or something like that, I also believe he needs to get stronger. There are a number of times that I saw him get knocked back in the run game when he was trying to when he was the run blocker there. Uh, I thought he was playing too upright, and he needs to finish and develop more of a mean streak. I just, I don't see that. He's not nasty enough for me. I like guys who are a little bit more nasty. They can't always be, you know, not every offensive lineman is a, is a nasty beast out there, but I just don't see that from him, and that's a shame. I don't know if he could, I know he, you guys can develop that, but he's just, he's not a nasty guy to me. He doesn't look like that on tape. The upside is definitely there. I could see him being in the first round uh, because, you know, there are a lot of fundamentals that you could still work on him in terms of his pass blocking fundamentals and run blocking fundamentals. But I just, I want my guy to be nasty if we're talking about an offensive lineman. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I guess, I guess, I guess the, the thing about me, him is that I think he's able to keep guys kind of outside the arc. But I, I want to see him. I want to see him sort of, you know, be quick to the edge, um, and just do better with speed rushers. I think he. I think he has some trouble with speed rushers. Okay, fair, fair enough. Uh, let's move our attention to the defensive side of the ball, Ed. Let's talk about the the South Carolina defensive tackle, uh, Javon Kinlaw. Uh, he's been also receiving a lot of attention. I know you and I are going to see him in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, he's been invited to the Senior Bowl already. He's a former JUCO transfer. He This is his third season at South Carolina. This guy's a beast. He certainly looks the part, Ed. I just want to find out if you believe he plays that part. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've sort of heard about him on, on the internet as like a nose tackle. And that couldn't be farther from the truth about what he is. He's he's more of the, you know, he's more of the three four sort of speed. Um, I love his explosion. His explosion is elite. Um, you know, he gets off the ball. He gets off the line of scrimmage. Really quick f- first step. Really excellent athlete. He's kind of like an Ed Oliver light. Oh really? You you believe that? You actually believe that? Yeah, look, I mean, Ed Oliver was quicker. Obviously, he had an, an exceptional first step. Ed, Ed you, Oliver, light. Yeah, L- let's not let's not compare him to Ed Oliver. But like, at, at times he flashes. Ed, at times he flashes. He's a big guy. He's about six six. Um, what is he? About 300, 305? I mean, this guy can pack another five ten pounds easily. This guy can play a, as a defensive tackle on a four three. He can also be a five technique. He's got that type of versatility. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could see him. 
I really see him doing two things. I think his best fit is sort of as a 3-4 defensive end, you know, so we're, sort of where he's the 5 technique. But I do think he can kind of slide in and be that 3 tech. And I think, it, you know, if you want to be a 4-3 team um, and, and you want a defensive tackle who's maybe a little bit more speedy, I know like some teams like 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 kind of like that speedy sort of inside guy, um, especially, especially in today's NFL – um, you know he can be that guy, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count him out as you know without out of the four three system. But I do think his best fit is in the three four. All right, interesting. There are a couple of concerns that I have about Ken Law that that really worry me about defensive linemen. I think his motor runs hot and cold, and I also believe that you mentioned and I agree with you. He's got an exceptional first step at times, but. It's just there, there's too many times that he just disappears. Like if he doesn't beat an offensive lineman right off the snap, he doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have a second move that he can go to. He, so he's got to expand that pass rush repertoire. Uh, so I'm not on board with Kinlaw being a first round type of prospect because those things really worry me. I could see him being... A- I could see him being a first-round prospect just because I think of his athletic ability. I think this is a guy who's going to do really well at the combine. He's going to run well. I think he's stronger than he seems. So um, I, I, I kind of disagree with that, not seeing him as a first-round guy. All right, so you're you're on board with Javon Kinlaw. It seems like you you know you accepted that Austin Jackson could very well be a first-round pick, but it seems like you're you're a pretty big fan of Javon Kinlaw and you. Uh, uh, you were surprised by by his tape. Yeah, I just I love to see like athletic defensive ends. I, I mean, I love to see like athletic edge rushers. I mean, I mean especially I mean if you can get if you can get pass rushers on the edge, that's good. But if you can get interior pass rushers, and I don't I don't think you have to be I don't think you have to be huge to do well. I mean, obviously like you like him to be huge to do well, but. Um, you know, maybe this is a guy. I mean, he's he's got a six six frame. I mean, maybe this is a guy who can put on a few pounds, um, and you know, and get a little bit stronger, and and really be, really be a very good, uh, you know, high upside, high upside three four defensive end. All right, let, let's move on to college football, Ed. Um, Arkansas, uh, they decided to to fire Chad Morris. So he had a. Four and eighteen overall record. Um, obviously, it wasn't pretty. Arkansas was actually recruiting really well under Chad Morris. I mean, he was doing a good job. I think they were both years they were in the top twenty-five. So he got some talent there to Arkansas. Now they just got to find a coach that can put it all together. Um, who are you on board with? Give, give me a couple of names that Arkansas should go after, and then I'll tell you what I've been hearing. I kind of like a guy like uh, Billy Napier from uh, Louisiana. I think he, I think he could be worth an upgrade. Um, you know, he's seven and two and only his second year as Louisiana's head coach. Um, you know, done a good job. I think he's, I think he's ready for a promotion. And you know, he sort of, he sort of knows that southeast area. And so, um, I think Billy Napier should be, should be in the conversation. Um, do you want to, you want me to go in, in another couple names that I like? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like Seth Luttrell. Um, I think he's done a really good job with Mason Fine. 
Um, I think he also knows how to recruit Texas, which is actually really like a hotbed for Arkansas players. I mean, obviously they're not they're not getting the top Texas guys, but they're you know they're they're an SEC team, so they're getting good recruits from Texas, and I think he's going to know them. Um, you know, I think I think just just a coaching trend in what teams like is we like a coach who can co- coach a quarterback. Um, Latrell has done a really good job with Mason Fine. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I mean, you know, it's too early to ever say like, you know, quarterback whisperer, but I mean, the fact is, is that he's shown that he can coach a quarterback. Okay. Makes sense. He upset uh, Latrell, by the way, is from North Texas. Mason Fine is the quarterback at North Texas for those people that, that don't know. Who's your final name? Uh, surprise me, Ed. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to make you mad. Um, I'm going to uh, make no. you mad. It's, it's, it's Lane Kiffin, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, I have another name, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it. I think I think he deserves a better job. I think he deserves a second chance. And to be honest with you, I mean, this is this is SEC football, and that that's that's where he belongs. All right, surprise me, Ed. All right, I mean, I guess I guess I also like a guy like Mike Norvell. Um, I think he's no, I like him. I actually like him. I mean, he's. Uh, that was my number one name for uh, for the Arkansas program. He, here's the reason. Go ahead, give me your reasons, and I'll oh, give you oh, one. Oh, did I say did I did I say Lane Kiffin? I thought I sort of implied Lane Kiffin. No, you said Mike Norvell. I, about Lane Kiffin, I, I think Lane Kiffin. That's his job. I would never touch Lane Kiffin as an FSU type of head coach, but I think. For, for an Arkansas team that's dying to, to get somebody that can clean up the program, I think Lane Kiffin can do that for Arkansas. So I think Arkansas job would be a good one for Lane Kiffin. I disagreed with you last week. I just thought FSU is, is, is a little, was is not a, a good fit. Was not a, a good fit. I, I understand. You're trying to say he, he's not... He's not quite FSU worthy, but he he can do he can do a job like Arkansas. But yeah, I I, mean, I, I agree I, with that. I, I mean, I do like I do like the idea of Mike Norvell. Um, I think he's a hot name from Memphis. I think he's a good quarterback coach. And but the only thing is, is what with Norvell is he might get an even better job. I mean, he might even be the guy who gets the FSU job. Yeah, absolutely. Mike Norvell is thirty four and fifteen at Memphis. He's turned that offense into a a high-scoring hotbed, and uh, I, I think he deserves to, to move up in that job. And here's another reason why he should be linked to that Arkansas job, Ed, uh, because he's the all-time receptions leader at Central Arkansas. He was a wide receiver there uh, from 2001 to 2005. So he is linked to the state of Arkansas. He, he knows it pretty well because he, he played there. So um, I think Mike Norvell is is an excellent fit there. But what I'm hearing is Arkansas is going to try to go after Gus Malzahn. I, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but they're going to try to make a play for it. And another name that's been implied, I, I can't understand why they would do it, but Butch Jones, the, the former head coach of the Tennessee Vols, it seems like if Malzahn will say no... Butch Jones will be the next one in line. But I'll tell you one thing. You know, uh, Chad Morris didn't do a good job coaching that team, but he did a good job recruiting. So they have some talent there at Arkansas. And whoever gets that job, it's we'll, we'll have some talent to work with, some young talent to work with. And let's move on to what we saw last week. Um, 
You and I didn't give Minnesota a shot. I don't think anybody gave Minnesota a shot, Ed. You and I felt that if Minnesota, if Minnesota were to win against Penn State last week, that they would have to play above their heads. They would have to run the ball against that, that tough Nittany Lions defense. But that's not what happened, Ed. Minnesota said, screw the running game. It's not going to work. We know it. And so what do they do? They, they put it in the hands of their signal caller, Tanner Morgan, the young sophomore quarterback who I got to know last week because I didn't see Minnesota games. This is the first game that I watched live. Minnesota might be an 8-0 team, but they certainly weren't playing anybody, so I didn't know much about Tanner Morgan. But you know what? 18 for 20, over 300 yards, three touchdowns. The most important number is zero interceptions. He was efficient. He made good decisions. He was accurate, and I was really impressed with his deep ball. I mean, it was it was a pretty deep ball that Tanner Morgan has been throwing all season long, but we saw it against Penn State secondary. And, and Minnesota, P.J. Fleck, and that Minnesota's coaching, offensive coaching staff did a great job just knowing the, the weaknesses of the Penn State defense, and they attacked that secondary, Ed. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on the P.J. Fleck bandwagon um you know i think i think he should be a favorite for the fsu job um he's done a great job the only thing is is there is this kind of narrative that minnesota hasn't played anybody and i think this week is really going to be that big test well they played against penn state i mean they how, how big is how big is this game penn state was number four they had a great defense so obviously minnesota is going to play iowa this week but Look, it doesn't get any bigger than Penn State and, and what they did. I mean, that was just, that was amazing, Ed. It really was. And obviously, Penn State put up some numbers. They outgained Minnesota. Sean Clifford threw for over 300 yards. Their running back rushed for over 100 yards. They had two wide receivers that went over 100 yards receiving. And so, it's not like Penn State laid down. And they actually made a run for it at the end of the game. Uh, but it was just unfortunate that Clifford couldn't play mistake-free. He threw three picks. He threw one interception on the opening drive that could have changed the whole outcome of the game. And then he threw a pick at the end of the game, which which Minnesota sealed there. And I just, I didn't understand that. It looked like Penn State was marching. They decided to take a shot. And he just underthrew his receiver in the in the end zone. So Minnesota played tough defense. Three takeaways for them. But... Get to know Tanner Morgan, a hell of a college quarterback. I mean, the guy was was really, really impressive. And, but the whole world was watching LSU against Alabama. Everybody wanted to find out if LSU can take down Alabama the way they did in 2011 season. And they certainly did, Ed. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought that was that was a great game by LSU. I mean, they've they've really proven that they're the best team in the country right now. And I mean, you know, you know, there've been so many times this year where, you know, they've been questioned and they've they've come through and to be honest with you, I think I think Joe Burrow is the favorite for the Heisman right now. I mean, he's he's done great. He he fought hard against Alabama. Um, but I I I definitely have, you know, at the same time I have some criticisms for Alabama. Um, you know, I thought their offense looked out of sync. I thought they played really undisciplined. Um, it didn't look like a Nick Saban team. And so, um, I, am I'm not ready to, I'm not, I'm not ready to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater because I still think 
Alabama deserves to be the number four team in the country. But you know, it's still it's still um, you know it was still it was still a great it was a great fight by LSU and. You know what? They they very much could be the champs this year, and they they very much would deserve it. What a great storyline! LSU goes to Alabama and they beat them forty six to forty one. When was the last time that you saw an offense, any offense, score forty six points against Nick Saban's defense? It, that just doesn't happen. And Joe Burrow looked like Trevor Lawrence in the national championship game. That's that. That's what it looked like to me. I mean, Joe Burrow was was perfect. Thirty-one of thirty-nine, three hundred and ninety-three yards and three touchdowns with no picks, and he looked like an NFL quarterback against Alabama. And he certainly faced an NFL type of defense. And LSU is the best team in the nation, hands down. I mean, as good as the Buckeyes have been, LSU has beaten four top ten teams at the time when they played, and now they beat Alabama. Nobody beats Alabama in their home. 33 first-half points were by LSU were the most in the opening 30 minutes against the Nick Saban coach team since 1999. And you know what? It wasn't only about Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow certainly made a statement, and he's the front-runner front right now for the Heisman. But I, I, got, I, have, I was impressed with Edwards Elair, uh, the, the small running back that just got the job done. I mean, he had 180 total yards, and he scored like four touchdowns, I believe, in that game. There was over 100 yards on the ground. I mean, the guy just made plays, so it wasn't only Joe Burrow. And you're right, Alabama looked out of sync, especially in the first half. I mean, they, they were losing at the half, 33-13. to 13. Then they made a move in the second half, but it was already too late. Um, Tua looked at a sink early on, even though his numbers look great. He threw for over 400 yards, like four touchdowns, but his completion percentage wasn't great. On the first opening drive, what was that? I mean, nobody even hit him and he lost the ball. I mean, that, that was kind of unusual. Then he threw that interception at the end of the first half. Then the punter dropped a perfectly placed ball that hit him in the numbers on fourth down. And obviously, Alabama had to, to to surrender in its own territory. All those things led to to points for LSU. You 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 have to play mistake free in, in SEC football, especially in a big game like that against LSU. And that certainly didn't happen. And I'm happy for Joe Burrow. I'm happy for Ed Orgeron, who's just getting the job done. And that offense looks completely different. Ed and I have to give it up to Joe Burrow. I have, to, I have to give it up to the passing game coordinator, Brady, uh, Joe Brady, who's, who's turned this offense into one of the most prolific offenses in the country this year. Yeah, and one thing, one thing that I, I just want to say, just to sort of wrap up this, and just point something out is, you know, there was this narrative going around that Nick Saban owns LSU. Well, I mean, this was, this was LSU you know beating Nick Saban so I think this is the, I think that should be a story that we should walk away with with this with this game and the current college football playoff rankings are LSU at number one Ohio State at two Clemson moves up to three and Georgia is at number four Alabama is currently sitting at five and then you have a couple of teams in the Pac-12 from the Pac-12 Oregon and Utah with one loss sitting there and 
those two teams are eventually going to play in the Pac-12 championship game. So will a Pac-12 team eventually replace a team like Alabama? Because the Crimson Tide, they, they don't have a tough schedule. And it doesn't look like they're going to play in the SEC championship game. So what happens from now on? Will a Pac-12 team jump ahead of somebody like uh, Alabama Crimson Tide? I, I, I still think SEC teams. I, I'm kind of more of like a, you know, put two SEC teams in there because the SEC is just so good and there's just always a, just multiple good teams in the SEC that could win a championship. Um, you know, I think I think it, it really falls on USC if pa- if the Pac-12 wants to, wants to be taken seriously again in the college football playoff. And I think, you know, teams like USC, Stanford, you know, maybe Oregon, maybe, yeah, I'd say Oregon too and Washington. But, you know, those guys, those teams have been, you know, top 25 worthy. But, you know, they've never really been, they've never really been, you know, college football worthy. So, um, But we're talking about this season. Oregon and Utah have been good teams. And Oregon has Justin Herbert. Utah has a great defense. Those teams. U- Utah won- got beat though. Or no, no, I'm uh, sorry, no. No, they no, haven't gotten beat yet. But they, each they of will. them has one loss out there right now. So it looks like they're going to meet in the Pac-12 championship game. The winner of that game most likely is going to be uh, in the college football playoff. Because I assume there's there's no way I see Georgia beating LSU in the SEC championship game. I just I don't see that happening. As much as I like Georgia and, and the way they play, they've got a big game this week. Bavada has got number four Georgia as the minus three um, favorite against number 12 Auburn. And uh, obviously Georgia is eight and one. A win will send the Bulldogs back to Atlanta for the third year in a row. Uh, the Bulldogs have a great defense. They're second nationally in scoring defense. They lead the SEC in rushing defense. They haven't allowed a rushing touchdown right now. Auburn is also, you know, a good team. They're third in scoring defense in the SEC. If they get a win, they get a bigger bowl game. Now, obviously, they're playing at home, but I see Georgia beating Auburn. I think it's going to be a tough game. Uh, They're going to grind it out. Both defenses are going to play well, but I think eventually Georgia is going to be able to to take over with with Jake Fromm leading the charge. See, I, I, th- I think Alabama gets in there. I, th- I think Alabama wins out, and I think they deserve to be the number four seed. So um, I, d- I don't see a Pac-12 team winning it. Okay, all right. I mean, like I said, if, if Georgia beats LSU, the conversation is over if that happens in the SEC championship game. It will be Georgia and LSU along with Ohio State and Clemson. Alabama will never get back into it. But if LSU beats Georgia, Alabama has got a shot, but... It's gotta, it has to have, you know, has to have, you know, everything on on its side. Because right now, I mean, you still have Oklahoma playing against Baylor this week. The Big 12 still has a championship game. The Sooners are going to try to get back into it. And then Oregon against Utah, big time matchup. Both of these teams are sitting right there. What are they, like six and seven right now, I think, in the college football playoff uh, rankings? I mean, that, that's a huge matchup. If the Oregon Ducks beat the Utah, Utah Utes, then um, I believe Oregon is going to be the team dancing right there in the college football playoff. So it's interesting how you're sticking up for Alabama, but everything is just pointing in the direction that there's no way that Alabama is going to get back into this uh, college football race. 
See, I, I, st- I still think, you know, Alabama could run over some SEC teams to, to sort of end the season. And um, I think I think they deserve I think they deserve it. And, um, you know, I mean, there, there there's a lot that can happen. Georgia can lose. LSU, well, LSU will probably still be in it if they lose. But, you know, I, I just I, I, I just haven't given up on this Alabama team. I think they had a bad game. And you know what? Alabama's allowed to have a bad game, but they're they're, they're I mean they they they've been so good for so many years, and I I just I, I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. How about that injury, Ed? Uh, obviously, we're taping right now on Saturday. Um, you and I were both watching the game. Um, how about that injury? I mean, uh, in let, let's for our listeners, obviously they're going to hear about it. Alabama is playing against Mississippi State. Tua suffered a hip injury, and he's out of the game right now. A lot of it is going to depend on that as well, Ed. Yeah, I think I think Tua Tung Viola. I mean, I I almost think he should do what Nick Bosa did. I mean, he he just keeps getting hurt, and I mean, what you know, what happens if he what if happens if he's injured and he goes into the NFL draft? I mean, um, you know, I I guess there's I guess they're playing for a national championship at Alabama, and that's why he's staying, but. Um, you know, it's it's really been unfortunate for Tua, and I, I I just I I can understand if he doesn't want to play in a bowl game, especially if they don't get into the college football playoffs. Well, I guess we'll we'll keep an eye on the situation with Tua and that injury. Thank you for listening.